Father, I just thank you um, for who you are. Uh, Father, I thank you for being a God that, uh, that forgives, a God of grace, a God of love, um, but also a God that pursues, a God that desires for your children to know you, and um, a God that moves towards that end, Father. And uh, Father Frank, we just thank you and praise you for allowing us to be a part of that, just a small part of that, that you choose to use us to draw the world back to you. Um, God, that's just a gift. That's a privilege. So we thank you for that. We praise you for allowing us to be a part of your mission. And, um, and Father, I just pray uh, for this conference. I just pray uh, not just for this session, but just across the next few days that you would just speak so clearly. Um, and people that need rest and rejuvenation, Father, I pray that you would minister to them. People that need inspiration and clarity of vision, I pray that you would give that to them, Father. Um, Father, I just pray that this would be a place that people can hear your spirit speaking to them um, through the speakers, through through encouragement of friends and family and, and others. Um, but God, we just pray that your will be done uh, in this room right now and your will be done uh, over this weekend in this conference and that you would receive glory. And Father, ultimately, people would worship you all around the world because of what takes place here, God. Because you and you alone deserve it. So, uh, we thank you, we worship you, and um, Father, we just give this as an offering to you. So, in, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, alright. First, I'm going to run through a couple of things. I'm going I'm to talk about what we're going to talk about in this class. Um, so, I'm going to be breezing through some of it, because I just want to set some context. Um, but... I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, and if this is not what you signed up for, just kind of sneak out when I'm like turned around or something, uh, not paying attention. But uh, first of all, we're going to look at a quick look at modern missions history. Now, don't get freaked out. I know a lot of people see the word history, and they're like, oh, no, we're going to this history class. I didn't know I signed up for a history class. No, this is just to give a little context of where we are currently in, um, in the state of missions. So, and then we're going to clarify our calling. Our calling is the global church, not our individual calling. Um, there's other sessions for that. Hopefully God can speak to you during this conference for that too. But we're going to clarify our global church calling um, after we figure out where we've been, where we are. And then we're going to take a look at how we're doing. Like currently, how are we doing as a global church at reaching all people? Okay, we're going to look at a lot of statistics, kind of a lot of things. Um, but then we're going to look at where are the gaps. What is, what is the need in missions currently, right, to finish the task of missions? To um, We're going to talk about what that even means in a little bit. Um, and then what strategies are working? Um, there, there's a lot of fun stuff out there right now in missions. It's, I, honestly, I think it's a very exciting time to be a part of missions because there's a lot of fun, creative uh, things going on to reach people that nobody's reaching. Um, so we're going to talk about some of those. Uh, we got some stories, some, some really cool things of how God is moving around the world. So we're going to hit on some of those. And then as a medical professional, we're going to kind of hone in specifically as some specific ways that medical professionals can be a part of reaching people that are not currently being reached. Um, and again, we're going to kind of define some of those terms and talk about what that means. Um, and then we're going to have time for a Q&A discussion. And really... This time is really, I want to leave some time for this because I think it's going to be more of a discussion time. Um, just looking around the room, I know there's people in this room that are probably more qualified to even talk about this than I am. So we want to learn from each other. Um, we really want to spend some time just kind of asking questions, answering questions, just discussing um, what we just talked about together. Does that make sense? You guys good with that? All right. And at any point, if I say something that doesn't make sense or you're like, what does that mean? 
just throw a hand up. We don't need to be super formal in here. I know the room setup makes it feel more formal than it should, um, but don't don't feel like this is some big formal thing. Just throw your hands up. And if I trip over this, don't laugh too loud. It'll show up on the microphone and the recording. So, all right. So first of all, a little bit about me. I was uh, I grew up in Brazil. I was a missionary kid. My parents moved to Brazil when I was three years old. Um, so I, missions was a part of my life from the very beginning. When I was that was me over there on the, on the left. A blonde hair, blue-eyed kid. Uh, I knew I wasn't like the Brazilians that I was around for the most part. Um, and so I would just ask the question, why are we here? Why, why are we different? Why is our family so different than the people around? So from a very early age, my parents instilled in me this heart for people having the gospel. It's worth a sacrifice to move a whole family to another country, to do missions, to plant churches, to evangelize the lost, it was implanted in me at, at three years old, um, just over and over and over and over again. And it's really never left me. It's always been one of my passions, one of my hearts. This is my family now um, here in Louisville. It's my wife, Lindsay, and my three kids. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, my story, just real, real briefly. And, and that was, I was going to go into business. I was going to go into business finance. I was really, really pretty uh, adept at that, and I thought, okay, I can, I can go into that. And honestly, selfishly, I wanted to make more money. I wanted to, um, but, but it came to a point where I had to make a decision, and, and I was commu- it was communicated to me in such a way that I had to make a decision that I could either uh, go into ministry and either do missions, or I had to go into business. Right? Like there, there was a, there was a clear split in the road in front of me. Um, and this is not a story of regret, a story of, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. But it's a story, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, and especially as it pertains to medicine, is a clear picture that you don't have to choose one or the other. Um, God puts things in people, puts skills, passions, abilities um, into people that he wants to call out of those people to leverage for his kingdom. Right? Do we all believe that? So, like, you don't have to say, well, I'm really good at being a doctor. But you know what? Instead, I have to be a missionary. That's what this conference is about. Um, and you guys have an option at the, the next few days um, to meet people that are doing it, that have done it for decades. You have opportunities to learn from people that, to me, are some of the heroes of my faith um, that, that are poured into me through the years. Um, so, it's just, it's just, just come into this conference. Yes, sorry, starting... Come into this conference um, with that mentality. Um, and uh, so what I do now, I work at Southeast in the missions uh, department here. I've been here 15 years, a little over 15 years now. And I work with our international U.S. partners, our church plants, and with our um, Global Missions Health Conference. So helping putting this on. So I've been here 15 years. So I guess I've been here to the conference for 15 years. It's my 15th year. And every year, I genuinely believe it gets better, the team that puts this on. So, um, all right, so we're going to jump in real quick. Again, a little bit of history. This is just to give you some context, okay, of where we are currently in missions. So, um, how many of you like history? Raise your hand. All right, those are my people. I like you guys. I, I love history. I could talk about that. I teach a lesson on this that is actually like two and a half hours. I'm not going to go that long on this. It'll be maybe 10 minutes of history. But, okay, so here's 2,000 years of, of missions history, okay? So the blue is the total number of peoples. We're going to talk about this in a minute, like people groups, how many people groups there are. And it increases just because we, we understand how many, like it, more and more as the years go by, we um, make new distinctions or we discover new people groups. 
um, new kind of splits within a people group that we thought it was just one big group, and then we understand that there's more. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the green is the reached. Um, how many of those people groups are considered reached? But right here, if you see, this laser doesn't look, work great, but in 1800, something happened right here, right? Like something just skyrocketed um, missions into a whole new level right here. Uh, and we're going to talk about what that is, and that's, that's, that's kind of why we're jumping into the history. So just to set the stage real quick, 1517 uh, A.D., Reformation, right? Uh, Martin Luther with his 95 Thesis. There, the Moravians were doing a little bit of missions um, at the time already, uh, but the Catholic Church was doing a little bit, but there was not a lot of missions going on at this point. Um, and just a little context, 1517, right? That's when Protestantism kind of started. That's where most of our denominations come from, is 1517. But for 275 years after that, there's not a sustained missions push within the Protestant um, denominations. So they're establishing, it's the Baptists, it's all kinds of groups established here in 1517 that were starting to be established. And it took 275 years before Jonathan Carey comes along. So this helps me, just to give you a little bit of idea of what's happening in the world. The first English settlement in the Americas was in that time period. Um, The first Great Awakening in the United States was in that time period. The Boston Tea Party, again, you kind of sense what's happening in our country right now. Declaration of Independence was before that. Um, So there wasn't a lot of missions taking place before those things, um, if that makes sense. And then comes along this guy. Um, This is William Carey. He's understood as the father of modern missions. He's often referred to as the father of modern missions. Now, um, he, he was reading the Bible. He's a pastor. He's a Baptist pastor. He was reading the Bible, and he was actually reading Adventures of Captain Cook, right? Some of his journals of his travels around the world and, and what he was seeing and what he was doing. And it kind of dawned on him. He's saying, you know, what I'm seeing in scriptures, we're supposed to go to the whole world. And then I'm reading these journals, these adventure journals, and I'm seeing there's a lot of the world that nobody's there. So he wrote what is called, and this is not a great title for a book these days, but it's an inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of heathens. He could have just been like Missions 101 or something like that, but that's what he chose. But this book is the most influential book in modern missions next to the Bible, probably. Um, Again, because this this writing and what he started doing is really why that curve on that uh, graph that I showed that just shot up in around 1800, a lot of it had to do with this man right here. And it really kind of launched it off. He was in church, though. There was a lot of opposition at the time. Um, one time he was in church, and uh, again, we're not 100% sure that this is exactly how the story happened. But as the story goes, um, someone stood up in church after he presented basically his book to a group of pastors. And someone said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. So this idea that God's going to do what he's going to do, and if he wants to convert them, he'll do it. He doesn't need us. Um, So there was a lot of opposition. So this right here, William Carey launched what we call the first era uh, of modern missions, and that was to the coastlands. So if you look at a map, that's basically to the outside of countries, right? They didn't go inland yet. Um, So that is humming along. A lot of missionaries are, are starting to go to the field. One thing that marks this that I think is super cool. 
was people were willing to die for this. A lot of people, this is the era where people would literally ship their belongings overseas in coffins because most of them, a high percentage of them, would die within the first several months they're on the field um, because they couldn't deal with the food, they couldn't deal with the germs. Um, A lot of the missionaries in this era died, but there was just this fervor, this fire um, to, to go and share Christ around the world. But mostly coastal cities, mostly big cities around that were easy to access. And then comes along Hudson Taylor. All right, we're, we're still humming through this, but Hudson Taylor was awesome. He was a missionary in China, and uh, he was home on furlough, and he was kind of sick. He was kind of laying in bed. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to map out the missionaries that I know in China. So he put them all, all these pins on a map, and he saw they're all on the coast. There were 91 that he knew about, and most of them, if not all of them, were right along the coast of China. And he said, wait a second, this, this isn't right. We need to go inland. Um, so he started talking about, he was praying about it, thinking about it, and God told him, you need to go inland. Same thing. He got a lot of opposition, because going inland was dangerous. You didn't have, like, the coast, you didn't have all the settlements, you know, with all the foreigners. It was a lot more remote. It was a lot harder to get to. It was a lot more dangerous than a lot of the world. So someone stood up again and said, Hudson, if you send young men and women inland, their blood will be on your shoulders. So once again, the church is pushing back, right? You see this throughout history and missions. Every step, even now, churches sometimes push back in a lot of different ways. Oh, we got needs here. Oh, we have this here. It happens all the time. So he gets this push back, and it kind of shakes him for a while. And then God spoke to him. He really feels clearly that God spoke to him and said, you're not sending them. I'm sending them. So literally the next day he got up, and went and started a bank account for a China Inland Mission. And this started the next kind of uh, next era, and that's to the inlands. Okay, so that's all the groups started going inside. There's Africa Inland Mission. Um, there, there's several of them. Um, came from this era, and he kind of launched this. Now, here's the interesting thing. At this point, kind of towards the end of this, this era... It's been going for a while. People start, missionaries start to spread out um, because of Hudson Taylor's influence and vision. People start to come home. Because over years, you have some conversions, you establish a church, and you train those people up to, to be the church and to go out on mission. So they started to come home. It was almost like the job was accomplished in their minds, right? We've done it. We've completed missions. Um, but, but there was a problem they hadn't completed missions. They, they had reached a lot of countries, but they hadn't completed missions, which is the next era. And, and we're, we're almost done. This is the last era. And then um, we'll jump in. So Cameron Townsend, um, is, is, uh, he was uh, kind of a linguist. He was about Bible translation. He was in Guatemala. And again, as the story goes, he was handing out Bibles in Spanish in Guatemala. And one of the locals came up to him and said... Um, their, their tribal language wasn't Spanish, and he came up to him and said, if your God is so smart, why can't he speak our language? And this kind of rocked him, and he was just kind of like, you know what? The Bible still has some barriers to get into people's heart languages, and there's still a lot of people, we're going to look at some stats here in a little bit on Bible translation, um, there's still like some major issues um, with that. Here's an example. Here's what Townsend was figuring out. So this is a map of India. Okay? This is from... Uh, the, the, this next map is, is 
is what he is talking about, what he realized at this point. This is the linguistic map of India. Okay? So, what they had done is they had hit the coast. That's great. And then they had gone inland, and that's great. But there's still tons of barriers even within one country. Did you guys see that? So, just because it made it to one of these colors doesn't mean that it would naturally cross the barrier into another group because of language barriers. So he starts saying, wait, 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 there's still some barriers here. We're looking at things with geopolitical lines, but we really need to start thinking more languages. Well, and then came along Donald McGavern. He's a third generation missionary in India. He was seeing the same thing. But he noted also that the gospel was thriving in some caste systems, some caste levels, but not other caste levels. So this is the caste system in India. Um, I think a lot of people should be at least somewhat familiar with that, but um, it, the gospel was taking root among the lower castes down here pretty well, but it was not reaching the upper castes um, hardly at all at this time. So, I'm going to go back to this map. So basically, here's what's happening. The gospel has come to the coast, the gospel has gone inland, the gospel has gone to some of these places, but it wasn't spreading across all people groups, and even within one of these, say you're in, in this yellow area, there were stacked groups even within that. They may speak the same language, but they didn't associate with each other. So there's even more barriers for the gospel to spread within those, those groups. Does that make sense? Um, so, then comes, this is the last guy, Ralph Winter, and, and he kind of solidifies this last group that we're currently in is, is to unreached people groups. He kind of took what um, Townsend and McGavern did and he came up with the group of un, uh, the idea of unreached people groups. Um, and currently, this is what most missions groups use in their terminology as far as missions. They talk about unreached people groups or people groups just in general when they talk about missions. Um, so it's no longer, people don't think of missions anymore in geography terms as much as they do people group terms. So it changed, the third era turned the question of missions to, from to where to the question of to whom. Does that make sense? So it's not, hey, I'm going to be a missionary to India. It's, I'm going to be a missionary to India, to this people group, to this language group, to this caste system, because there are barriers that the gospel is not penetrating Currently, Does that make sense? That is our current understanding of missions that we're operating under um, that every sending agency basically kind of agrees with at this point. Any questions so far? The next thing is a quick short video just talking about unreached people groups um, just to clarify what that is uh, and then we will jump into some, some ideas moving forward here. What is the UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is the people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, 
But ethnically, Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude, stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb people, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta ethnic, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear. Yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. So that's, that's kind of the title of this class, is the task remaining, right? That kind of paints a, a picture of what is the task remaining for missions in the world. Um, so now we kind of have a target clearly defined, right? Is mission uh, in missions is people groups. Um, so we're going to look at, at some stats here as far as how are we doing. Um, and a few stats on the average people groups. He touched on this a little bit. Um, but you see the world population, 7.76 billion uh, unreached population is 41% of that. So 41% of people are considered to be living in unreached people groups. So like I said, these are people, 41% of people living on earth right now will be born, live their life, and die. Many never meeting a Christian, not just never hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. Many of these people will never meet a Bible-following, Christ-following Christian in their lifetime. Um, so, we've got a lot of work to do, right? So, why, why are there so many unreached people groups? The, the red right here uh, is kind of highlighting unreached people groups. Throw out some answers. Why do you guys think there are so many unreached people groups currently? They're hostile? Yeah. That's, that's definitely part of it. Look, look at the, the red... Again, that 1040 window, they call it. Um, there's a lot of countries there that are not welcoming of missionaries. What else? People who might go don't feel prepared. Yeah, people that go don't feel prepared or qualified. Or qualified. Yeah, I mean, the, the turnover is, is very high, especially in these difficult places. Um, a lack of joy in the faith. People actually want to share the gospel. 
Yeah, a lack of joy in the faith, people wanting to share the gospel. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's hard enough to share your faith with with people that aren't wanting to, to hurt you uh, for sharing your faith, but uh, even more so um, in some of these places. But just having a joy, just having an excitement, a zeal of what God's done in your life that you want to share with others. Yeah, that could be missing. What else? Yeah, people don't want to go to those places, right? I mean, how many people are not knocking it? Missions, missions is everywhere to everywhere. We need missionaries in all places. But how, what do you think it's easier for a recruiting group to recruit to? Do you think it's easier to recruit a missionary to go to Europe or a missionary to go to Afghanistan? I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer question. But, yeah, people don't necessarily... are. They're not dreaming of living in these places, saying, oh, I have a heart for these people. I want to live there. Yeah, they're difficult places to live. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have one? I say about the same thing. People yeah. keep going back to the same places because it's familiar. Yeah. It's easier. It's familiar. It's easier. It's closer. It's cheaper. It's, yeah, any number of things. The people really want us there and they're welcoming and they're friendly and there's any number of reasons why we stay in the green and the yellow, but the red needs the gospel too. So, um, yeah, those are great examples. Major religions moving forward, Christianity is projected, at least at this point, to f- as flat. Our growth is projected as flat right now um, through 2050. Is that alarming to anyone? I see stats like that. That scares me to death. I'm like, oh, God's still on His throne, but I see this and I'm going, okay, okay, God, come on. We need to pray. We need to raise up more workers. We need to change this line, right? We're going to look at our... That one's, oh yeah, there you go. Um, the absolute number of believers in the world is of non-believers is growing. Part of that is population growth among other people groups is higher than Christian groups. Um, but there are more people today that live that do not know Christ than any other time in history today. It's, it's growing. So today is more than yesterday, more than the day before. Um, again, a lot of that is just growth in Islam, um, birth rates, all this kind of stuff. But this is this is statistically happening. So this is something that the global church needs to deal with, right? This is something we need to address. This is something as a church we want to have a strategy for. We want to be aware of these things and we want to step into them with intentionality and not just hear a stat and be like, oh, that man, that's really scary, and then move on. What are we having for lunch? That's what happens um, more often than not. But what are we going to do about this? So we're going to talk about our limitations. What's our limitations as a global church? Why is this happening right now? Um, There's a lot of limitations on the global church. Um, I don't think we're really limited uh, because we have the Holy Spirit and we have Christ. Um, But this is is some stats of what's happening currently. The number of cross-cultural mission workers is shrinking. From 2000 to 2016... It's gone down significantly. And of that decrease, 90% of that decrease is from the United States. Now, some of that is missionaries retiring, coming off the field, um, and us not replenishing them as the church, um, statistically speaking. Now, missions is also changing its face. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. It's changing its face where it's missions is from everywhere to everywhere. It's not just the United States sending out missionaries. Africa sending out missionaries. South Korea sending out missionaries. I mean... Missions is everyone to everyone, um, but overall, this is still decreasing. Now, limited missionaries. So, how many missionaries um, 
are working among the unreached. So again, the number of missionaries is going down. How about how many of those missionaries are focusing on people that actually don't have the gospel? They, they don't have access to the gospel currently. It's actually one in ten. Um, I think it's a little bit lower than that. Uh, but one in ten missionaries working with unreached people. So that means nine in ten are going where there are maybe already churches, already believers, already indigenous movements. Again, not against missions anywhere. Uh, and God calls people to all kinds of places. But, why is this? We talked about some of the reasons before. But there's a problem. If you're a strategist, think about this. If you're a strategist, and you see this map, and they say, hey, what should the church do to finish the task that God gave the disciples to go make disciples of all nations? What would you do? Would you, yeah. You said go. Make disciples of all nations. Yeah, where would you go? I mean, look at the map. Where would you go? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you think about that. It should be reversed. We should be sending nine out of ten missionaries to where there is no gospel, right? So that's a problem. That's a limitation in the church currently. Now, limited access to the Bible. There's 1,559 languages right now that have no scripture at all. No scripture at all. Um, some, some, there's some languages over there you see that are dying. There's some that are questionable need that may be a dialect that's kind of uh, too similar to another language that they're not going to consider at least putting that on the forefront. But all the Bible translation organizations are focused on that 21, almost 22% of languages that still need the Bible. If someone says, hey, I want to follow Christ, they can't even read the Bible right now. That's a limitation, right? That's a huge limitation to the gospel spreading. Limited resources. This is on average how American churches use God's money. Okay? Internal salaries of a church, 50%. Facilities, 22. Uh, operations, uh, 13. Outreach, local, 13. 2% submissions. On average, every dollar that comes into a church, 2% goes to missions. Internationally. That's the focus problem, isn't it? If you go back to that map of where the gospel is and where the gospel is not, that's a focus problem for, for churches that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be talked about. Another thing. So, back to the limited resources. For every dollar of Christian giving um, to all causes, so this is like any nonprofit, any church, anything, how much do you think goes to unreached people? So, 2% goes to missions in general. How much percent of all giving goes to unreached people? Is there any guesses? One cent. It's actually less than a cent. Less than one cent of every dollar goes to reaching unreached people. Go to all people. Go to all people groups in the world. Make disciples everywhere. And a percentage of one cent is doing that currently. This is... North Americans spend more on Halloween costumes for their pets every year than on outreach to unreached people groups. That's a, there's something going on. There's a problem, right? Do you see it? Do you feel it? Hopefully you do. I mean, if you can hear some of this stuff and not feel that a little bit in your gut as a believer, like, I'd take that to the Father because I think there's something wrong, honestly. Like, you should feel that a little bit, Okay? 
There's a cute dog, though. Limited churches. Um, Portland, Oregon. 580,000 in population. They have roughly 448 churches. This city um, in India, zero churches. Indianapolis, same thing. You just start looking at some of these churches around the world, or some of these cities around the world in these populations. There's zero known churches. Now, in some places, there's some underground church movements. There's some house church group movements. But the, the fact is that the average American drives by three to five churches on the way to church. And we, <laughs> and yet, you have whole cities, half a million people that don't drive by a church. At least they don't know it's there if there is one there. Again, that's a problem, right? If we're going to spread the gospel, we need churches. We need people to plant churches. And then this one, we touched on this earlier, limited access. Of the remaining 7,000 or so unreached people groups, um, how many of them are in restricted access countries? So this map right here, if you can't read down here, um, the red is extreme persecution, the brownish one is very high persecution, and the yellowish one is high persecution. Again, you see kind of the overlay of the 1040 window there where people are being persecuted. Um, we don't have access very well to some of the remaining people groups. There are five out of six of the remaining 7,000 people groups are in these difficult-to-reach places because you're being persecuted when you go as a believer. So that's an issue, right? We gotta, we're going to figure that one out. We're going to come up with some solutions. We have some things. I'll tell you stories of what God's doing. So this is kind of the wah-wah part. Um, but God is moving through this. So, um, All right, so what can we do? What can we do? That's, that's some statistics. Hopefully it's a little alarming. Hopefully it kind of makes you sit up in your seat going, okay, what are we going to do? Like, we, we need all hands on deck for this one. Um, we're going the wrong direction. Missionaries coming off the field. More people today that don't know Christ than ever before in the history of the world. What are we going to do? How are we going to engage? Well, um, this is a great quote that I, that I always kind of lean on. To reach people that no one is reaching, you have to do things that no one is doing. Missions for years has been stuck in this, like we just do missions. This is how we do missions. We do missions like this. We go to these places, we do this, we do that. We need to get outside of that and say, we need to think of new ways to getting into these people groups that don't have access to the gospel. That's just the reality. Because if you keep doing the same things, expecting a different result, you're crazy. And that's what missions has done for a long time. So, how are we reaching unreached people groups? Alright, so there's a lot of things going on right now that are super cool. And some of these organizations are even here, um, so I'll touch on some of them. Some of them, I can't even tell you where they are, um, just because this is being recorded and it's going to be posted in some places. So I'll speak in some general terms. If you want to know specifics, come talk to me after. I'll be glad to share anything specifically and connect you with these organizations and stuff. Um, but for the sake of recording, I'll be very general on some of this. Um, so, first way is traditional missions, right? So, this method is becoming more difficult nowadays to reach into the unreached areas. So, again, traditional missions um, is just raising your support, going as a missionary, setting up shop, trying to share your faith with people, establish a Bible study, and then from there establish a church, you know, just more traditional missions. This still works with some unreached people groups, especially the ones that are more rural. Um, they're unreached not because they are in one of those difficult to reach countries or regions. Um, they're unreached more because they're rural. They're kind of out in a... They're maybe a smaller people group and nobody's going to them yet. Um, there are still some of those. Um, so this is still a viable method in some places. Um, but mobilizing near culture um, and, and partnering with, uh, 
with groups that are like the groups you're trying to reach. Um, so this idea of a near culture. So if you're trying to reach a group, a people group within one country, there may be another people group within that country already that would be a natural connection in. Does that make sense? To where for an American to go, it would be very difficult for an American to go to some of these places, but there's a near culture close by. Maybe their language is even a lot closer than our language. Their cultures are a lot closer. It's easier for them to step into that than it is for us to move into that. So that's one thing that's happening a lot now, especially with unreached people groups, is there's whole organizations that are, are um, kind of building themselves on this strategy of we find believers in these people groups that are close to unreached people groups and then we find American churches and businessmen and other people to come in and partner with them um, to get the gospel into those unreached people groups. Um, so this is showing great fruit around the world. We have several great stories of that. There's, um, there's groups that have basically pooled money and just said, hey, we're going to take on, on this entire nation and we're just going to fund everything we need to fund from these countries around it to just penetrate and ha- take this off the unreached people groups. We're going to establish churches and we're going to do this, but we're going to do it in partnership with some of these near cultures. There's some amazing stories that God's doing through that one right now. Marketplace workers. This one is super, super cool. So um, there's an organization that's here at the conference called Scatter. We'll talk about some of the medical stuff they do, but one of the things that they've done is they take business... Um, business people, medical people, teachers, that kind of stuff, and help them find actual jobs in other countries um, that are closed countries to missionaries. But these countries would love to have business consultants. They would love to have doctors and surgeons. They would love to have educators from the United States. They welcome them with open arms and pay them a very good salary, actually. So they come into these places and they help make these connections, these organizations do. Um... And that's, that, that, again, there's one quick story. I'm not going to tell you the country. Ask me later. It's really cool. Um, there's a business consultant actually from the UK uh, that got a job as a, a consultant to the CEO of the energy company for the entire nation um, of this country in the Middle East. The entire nation. He's the right-hand guy and just meets with him on a daily basis. His office is right next to him. He's super successful in the UK, and he just wants to live on mission now. So he took this role in this country. I'm trying to not let it slip. Um, he's in this country, and at one, one meal, they're having lunch together, talking about business, and then all of a sudden, this guy just asks him, say, you know what? Your wife treats you differently than my wife treats me. Why is that? What is it about your relationship that's different than my relationship? Why does she respect you? Like, what? Tell me about all that. Is that just how you guys do it in England? Like, what's the deal? Well, instantly, he just like went into the gospel of of what God's word says, and, and just how marriage is just a mirror image of Christ in the church and what He's done for us. And it just sitting in this fancy restaurant in this country with this very wealthy, successful person just literally laying out the gospel because the guy asked. <laughs> and it's just amazing stories like that. And there, there's some follow-up to that story. It's still an ongoing story. But it's just amazing. God is using things like this. Someone just saying, you know what? I'm not going to be a traditional missionary. I'm going to take a job in another country and I'm going to live on mission in that job. You have context to be there. You have context for relationships already. 
and you already have peers that you can build relationships with, right? So that, that's an amazing thing that God is moving through currently. Um, another one here is uh, business's mission. Uh, so this comes in, in a lot of different forms. Um, uh, I'm going to share one story. We were in, um, we were in Dubai, and um, there was a business. There's an organization here, and this business, there's a businessman from Colorado that owns a security company for businesses, for small businesses. And he kind of caught this vision of, how can I leverage my business for the gospel expansion around the world? Um, got connected to some organizations, kind of learned some stuff. So he actually launched an office for his company in Dubai. And, you know, he hired American workers as sales force and all kinds of staff there. Hired some people from Dubai, too, but a lot of Americans. But he hired missionaries, people that were trained as missionaries to be his salespeople. So it gave them access um, to relationships, access to all the businesses in the area. He started building relationships. And it's a successful business. He's, like, he's making money off of this, but he's leveraging what God has instilled in him, his skills, his passions, his abilities. He's just saying, I'm going to use that, which happened to be business. I'm going to use that so that people will come to know the Lord in a place that people are not coming to know the Lord very quickly. Um, so I, I was with this guy in Dubai, and I was just like, how in the world did you, you know, make this connection? And, and it was a person that stood in front of him and just challenged him and said, God has given you something. He has made you someone with skills, abilities, passions. How are you going to take that and leverage it for the kingdom? Don't try to leverage someone else's skills, someone else's passions. God made you to leverage your passions, your skills, your abilities for his kingdom. And he just caught fire and he just ran with it. And, I mean, they're seeing a lot of fruit in that too. It's super cool. Um, i got to keep moving here. Okay. Um, using technology. This one is super cool. So, um, we live in an age where there, it just blows my mind what, what we can do um, to reach people around the world. Uh, this, is, this is more than just like radio and TV and just kind of broadcast stuff. Um, with social media, there's a group right now um, that has developed strategies, and this guy's here too. It just amazing stories. Where they, they do um, Facebook, Google, um, in some countries even Twitter. They just do ads. They do all kinds of programs on that. Um, partnering with the indigenous workers or like um, cultures in unreached areas and uh, basically have um, ads where people click and they go to a page to hear more about Jesus, right? The idea is that out of any co- every culture in the world, there's a certain percentage that is seeking. Okay, there's a certain percentage that is seeking. There's, there's, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more uh, to the world than Islam. This doesn't make sense anymore or whatever religion they're a part of. And they see an ad pop up and say, you want to know more about Jesus? You want to know more about this? There's a percentage of people that will click into that, right? So they click into that, go, and then they can see how many, how long, literally, they watch a video, uh, par- portions of the Jesus film, and then they can retarget those people um, with other ads and with other things, and they have a phone number at the bottom to call. The goal is they start chatting with them, that kind of thing. So they take this huge ad, bring it down to a, a few people that hit a page, and then from there, a few people that chat with someone um, on a chat, and then a few people, which is usually a light culture that speaks that language, and then it goes down to a few people get phone calls. They start discipleship online with them. Again, the goal is ultimately to get them to meet in person usually several months, maybe even years, 
um, after like the first contact. Um, but they're using technology really to create leads for the missionaries that are in the area. Um, to where there, there's some places, there's some countries where he literally had to turn off the ads because they didn't have enough people to follow up with all the leads of people saying, I want to know more about Jesus. I want a Bible. Can I talk to a Christian? And sure, some of those aren't real, but a lot of them are. People are seeking. And, and he said, you can even tell technology-wise, when you run ads in multiple countries, it's almost a litmus test for how and where the Spirit is moving around the world. Because you'll have a country that just gets a 4% you know, pass-through rate to where they're actually talking to someone. And over here, you have a 0.05%. And you can see, God is doing something over here. You know, let's refocus some energy over here. Let's, to where we can follow up with these people. We can engage them. Let's recruit more people that speak this language. Whatever that is. Um, just using technology. I mean, it's just amazing. And again, ultimately the goal is to get them in front of another believer um, and on the phone with another believer that they can be discipled and taught. It's not all done online. Um, I, we still feel very strongly about that. But it's just amazing what God is doing uh, in, in the technology world right now. And then medical missions. And we're going to break this one down in different areas of medical missions. Um, but as, as medical uh, people, you guys have access to places um, that the average human does not have access to. I mean, you have access to places that I don't have access to. I can't go there. You know, I've worked at a church long enough. I've spoken in different places. My name is out in a few different places. So I can't go to some places. Um, or if I go, I'm being watched. Uh, you guys have access to places that missionaries don't have access to. We're going to break that down here in just a second. Um, so, types of medical missions to reach the unreached. Um, questions so far? We're kind of breezing through this. I really want to allow time here at the end, but it's got a couple more slides here. Any questions? Okay. Okay, good. Um, all right, so traditional, working in a missions clinic, kind of a remote part of the world. Again, there are still places that you can reach unreached people groups and um, that are just remote, that aren't hostile towards Americans, um, and just being aware that, okay, I can still do that. Now, teaching. Uh, teaching your medical specialty abroad. Um, there, there's examples. Um, we know a guy, won't say his name, was in India, and he was, he was a dentist, and he was actually training in universities because he was such a highly specialized dentist in the United States um, that the universities were saying, come, 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 come. We want you to help train. We want you to help equip. We want you to speak, be a keynote speaker at this or at that. Um, so he had access to places in India just because he was a highly accredited dentist in a lot of different things. So, um, again, you can go and just teach, be an expert somewhere um, in your field and you have access to places and to people um, to build relationships that others just don't have. Again, I can't step into that world. Um, relief. Okay, so disasters. Uh, again, there's a display down here that talks through some of these. That's actually really cool. Hopefully you have time to go through it. Um, but disaster response is another time that uh, medical professionals can enter into some of these countries and being invited in, not not just kind of sneaking in, you, you're invited into places um, when disasters happen, um, whether it's a war or whether it's um, some natural disaster. But you guys as medical professionals, I'm assuming a lot of you are, um, or are on that track, um, you guys are going to get invitations literally to go places that other missionaries don't get invited into. 
um, because of of some of these things. Um, Samaritan's Purse downstairs, they do a ton of that stuff. Um, but the access that you guys get is, is pretty amazing. Um, training indigenous workers. Um, so sometimes there's organizations that can get better access, but you can be a part of helping to train them. There's a couple of organizations here that, that do that, that go around and train in dentistry or in, in uh, midwifery or all kinds of different um, medical things, but they will actually come alongside pastors and train pastors to go out into unreached people groups. We partner with a group in, um, yeah, you say, this, this group's in Myanmar, and they're in a part of Myanmar that's not too bad, um, but they train their pastors in dentistry, just extracting teeth, just some basic tooth extraction stuff, um, and they go out to these remote, remote areas that are still very highly unreached people. You, I mean, it takes days just to get there. And they show up, and for years they'd shown up there. These groups are trying to get in, trying to get in, and they're just run out of town. They're run out of town. You're a Christian. Get out of here. Get out of here. But when they bring dentistry and they say, hey, we're trained dentists. We can pull teeth. Does anyone in, in your community have struggle with teeth and pain in their mouth? They're invited in. Again, they're treated like kings in these villages um, because you're bringing something of value. So even training and equipping and passing on these skills to some of these pastors around the world that can go in, again, it's not anything um, like high, highly trained medical people, but even giving them a few uh, elements that they can do in these villages gives them access to people that they've been trying to get access to for a long time. Um, so there's several organizations here um, that, that do that, that take medical professionals that go around the world and train these guys to give them access to some of these villages. So, so that's incredible. Um, and then there's marketplace workers. Again, that same group that I was talking about with that businessman in, in Dubai, uh, same thing. They have contracts, or they, they partner with a, a for-profit company that's also a believing company, that, that has contracts with hospitals in a lot of closed countries that are looking for um, doctors, surgeons, nurses, everything. You just name it. And they love Americans coming in because of the training that we get here in the United States. Um, so it's very easy for an American to get a job in some of these countries. And they help make these connections for Americans who want to live on mission in these places. Um, and again, you don't need to raise support. You go and take a job and live on mission. You, have, you already have context for relationships. You have peers you work with. And then you just start in those relationships. So, um, so that's a really exciting one. That's part of the booth downstairs, too, that kind of lays out some of the different... Opportunity. So, um, just to close out, and then we'll have some Q&A time, a little bit, I guess. Uh, we're at a critical moment in history. A lot of missiologists would say that we are at a point where within our lifetime, um, with the technology that we have, even though things are kind of coming back, with the technology that we have and the workforce that we have and the organizations that are hard recruiting, we could see all people groups at least having a work among them within our lifetime. So, that's an exciting time to be living because no other generation has been able to say that. Um, but now we can say that. There's a lot of distractions but we need to be all in it together. Uh, I put this picture on here because in, in, uh, in aviation for, for a pilot there's a term called a V1 and, and it's this point while you're taking off um, that you either throttle up and take off or you throttle down. It's the, kind of the point of no return when you're on the runway taking off. Um, you either have to go all in or you have to pull back and stop and then come back and make another pass at taking off. Does that make sense? 
And that's basically where we are as a church. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of, even within our own culture, there's opposition. But around the world, there's a lot of opposition to the advancement of the gospel currently. But we really are at this V1 point as a global church that we need to just throttle up and say, hey, we're all in. We know where the people groups are. We have all this defined for us. We know what the limitations are. We know what the issues are. Now, what are we going to do as believers to step into those problems? So, this conference is an amazing opportunity for all of you, hopefully, to find what your role in that is going to be. Um, And not everyone's a goer. Some people send. Some people welcome, like the video said. Um, Some people go on short-term. Some people go long-term. I'm not saying everyone needs to go long-term to one place. But... Everyone has a role. I believe that wholeheartedly. God didn't waste any skills, passions, abilities on anyone. He put them in there for His glory. And He put them in there for His mission. Um, So I just want to encourage you guys this weekend, make sure that you don't leave here without at least clarifying a little bit of what your role in God's purpose for the world and drawing the world back to Himself is. Okay? Alright. Q&A time. Discussion time. We only have about... Five minutes. So, sorry, I talked a little bit longer than I thought I was going to. Questions, concerns, epiphanies, anything that you guys are just like, man. Um, I just have a question because you said that med- medical professionals have more and more opportunities to go into restricted countries, but mm-hmm. more and more of the restricted countries are requiring a, a, you to go through the licensing process for whatever your licensure is in the United States. Do any of the organizations that you just mentioned help with that process? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and one of the organizations that's here is called Scatter Global. If you write that, that one down, um, every country that they are mobilizing people to, um, they have all those relationships and all that knowledge, and um, they actually have coaching that goes along with it. Um, so um, it's not just a hey, we're going to connect you to these people over here. They walk with people and coach people in the process of interviewing and getting jobs and all the paperwork and all the everything that you need from beginning to end, even to thriving on the field. They have a lot of um, work around with the people once you get on the field because you get on the field very lonely in some of these places as a believer. Um, so they even have a lot of stuff uh, built into that. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of help with that. Yeah, so the, the landscape's always changing. Um, as to which countries are allowing people in or not allowing people in, and um, their these organizations—that's kind of what they do. So, thank you, guys. Thank you.